Lord, especially during this season, we praise you. We give you the glory due your name. We stand amazed. We, we're silent before you because of the wondrous love you have shown to us in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be born in a manger, to live a life filled with pain and joy, to die a death on a cross for us that we might live that we might spend eternity with you. We give you the glory today. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please, uh, please be seated. There's, a, uh, there's an idiom in English, uh, kick the bucket. I don't know uh, exactly where that comes from. Actually, no one does. None of the origins, I will mention, uh, that they speculate because none of the origins are very pleasing. But, but, you know, we are talking about kicking the bucket means someone died, right? So there were a few years ago on the uh, BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, yes, they ran a series called 101 Things Before You Die. So there were 101 things to do, there were 101 things to see, there were 101 things, places to go, and there were 101 things to eat. And so what they did was, you, and you can do this in your, yourself in your own mind, uh, what is it that would be the number one thing on your bucket list? What is the thing that you would treasure doing, seeing, going, eating more than any, anything else. And so they, they actually had a little TV series on that in 2000, whatever, 5, 6, and, and 7. So these 101 things, uh, the United States made uh, a few of those. Florida apparently is a very popular destination from uh, Britain. The Great Barrier Reef in Australia, who wouldn't want to go there, just make sure your boat is larger than the great white, uh, white sharks that will come there. The number one place, as it turns out, is the Grand Canyon. How about that? The Grand Canyon to, to go there. That's the number one spectacular place to visit on this, on this list. Other things to do, and some of you will get this, others will not, uh, is to drive Route 66. Number 38 on the list, which I think should have been higher, given that I lived in Alaska for 12 years and, and Barb for 21 or 22, was uh, snow, uh, was sledding with the dogs. And uh, that's just an amazing, amazing thing. Believe it or not, number 39, uh, this one was hard for me to even comprehend, but it was being strapped on the wing of an airplane and wing, wing walking. <laughs> Not me, no. Bungee jumping was number 17. Number two was to achieve immortality. Now, that's an interesting one. Of course, you have to understand how BBC uh, referred to it. That was gaining fame, uh, notoriety, writing a book or something like that. Although they did dip for just a moment into cryogenics. 
what could possibly go wrong? You might wonder, though, the number one thing. Do you know what the number one thing to do? The number one thing to do had actually never crossed my mind, and that was to go swimming with dolphins. Apparently, that's quite the thing. I saw a thumbs up, so maybe some of you have done this. Well, I think that achieving immortality, uh, I think that's sad, second to swimming with the dolphins. Of course, obviously, I'm, I'm thinking of immortality in a different way than, than they did. But, you know, there were two people on whose 100 and things, uh, 101 things to see, do, go, eat before they d- died, it was bound to a person not a place or a food or even a site, but a person. The number one thing they wanted to do was see the Messiah. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we'll look at verses 21 through 39, and we're going to see the story that we're familiar with if you were raised in church since Sunday school as a child. Simeon and Anna, and how they got to see the Messiah, to see Jesus. And in seeing the Messiah, their lives were fulfilled. So the scripture reads, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child uh, in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, "Lord, now You are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword shall will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him 
to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So on Christmas Eve Eve, yes, I, I, I guess that's a thing, Barb and I and a few others from the chapel saw a wonderful cantata at the uh, Toyota Center. In the first act, they reenacted the, what it was for Mary and Joseph to come into this town while they were taking the census. And it was likely unknown to them, and it was absolutely unknown to Caesar Augustus, that in doing that, they were fulfilling the prophecy of Micah that had been made so long ago. And, and I, I think Joseph and Mary were not concerned about such things at that moment, given uh, Mary's late stage in, in pregnancy. But so it was, as uh, we looked on Christmas Eve just a couple of days ago, that while in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth. The angels sang, the shepherds came to see the child, and it was an event like no other in history. Emmanuel, God with us, had arrived. History would never be the same. Now, even though, as we discussed a, a week ago, Zechariah and Elizabeth were older, and Mary and Joseph were much younger, they were both couples were strong and, and vibrant in the faith. And in that day, what that meant was you had certain obligations to fulfill in order to exercise that faith in a uh, way that is seen by the community. And so there were certain things they had to do. One was circumcision. So Luke 2.21 tells us, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So on the eighth day, a rabbi came and circumcised the newborn, and it was at that point that they named him. That's when the name is read to the people, to the brethren, let's say, in the congregation. And, and, and even though the child was the son of God, nevertheless, it was proper for him to fulfill all the law. So he was circumcised as an outward uh, sign of his separation from the, the Gentiles and his entrance into the community, um, of the, the Jewish community. I, I love the way the King James puts it. He was made like unto his brethren. And he was truly God incarnate in the flesh. So 2,000 years ago, uh, this happened 2,000 years before that. Abraham uh, was given this covenant in Genesis 17, where it reads, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised, so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. 
Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so in essence, in order to be named among the people, among the brethren in the community on the eighth day, you had to be circumcised. And so he was, and his name was given Yeshua, Jesus, Jehovah, or Yahweh is salvation. Now, it's interesting that day, we don't know exactly what that day was, but some 500 years later, there was a, a, a devout uh, monk, his name was uh, Dionysus uh, Exiguus, and he was from the Eurasian steppes near modern-day uh, Kazakhstan, and uh, he changed the world's dating system. Have you ever wondered this whole thing, A.D. and, and B.C., where that came from? It was from this, this man right here. And so he figured that everything before the naming was B.C., and everything after the naming was A.D., which does not mean after death. It means, it means Anno Domini, that is, in the year of our Lord. And so the whole calendar has changed based on this. Now, you know, you'll see more and more commonly now, they'll say uh, B.C.E., which means before the common era. Uh, so they don't like this notion of dating based on Christ's uh, life at all. Uh, the secularists don't. So you'll see that. That's what that means, if you didn't, if you didn't know. So uh, there was... There were some things that Mary and Joseph were required to do. Mary was in need of the rite of purification because she was considered ceremonially unclean after having a, a child. And so she couldn't enter the temple for 40 days. So after the, na- the circumcision and the naming, the second thing they had to do was for her to go and, and go through this cleansing uh, purification thing. Now, while unclean, it sounds pretty harsh to our ears, I would, I would tend to think, ooh, unclean, unclean. That, that, it doesn't mean necessarily. It could, but by and large, everyone was unclean on a regular basis, on a very regular basis in that day. And it, it didn't have anything to do with sin. It didn't have anything to do with anything other than it was a ceremonially uh, relevant issue. You can't do this because you're unclean. Now, we take unclean and we put it into our self-esteem, and we go, ooh, I'm unclean, that's so bad. But that's not what the Bible's talking about here. The Bible is simply saying, you had a baby, you're unclean, ceremonially, for 40 days. So then, I mean, this is the same, the same was true if you had... If you had a blemish on your skin, if you had to bury a, a relative or anything like that, you were rendered unclean. There was nothing sinful about it, and there was a purification offering that solved the problem. Luke 2.24 tells us, And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you go back to Leviticus 12, you find out, that what the, you were to offer was a lamb. You were, you were to offer a lamb. However, there was uh, room made for if you were too poor 
If you couldn't afford a lamb, why then you could have a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And this is what, this is what Mary and Joseph brought uh, to the temple. And, I mean, that's indicating that they were too uh, poor to afford the, the, the lamb. So in addition to the naming and the purification, there was a third thing that had to happen. So they were obligated to fulfill what's called the redemption of the firstborn. In Exodus 13, 2, we get the history behind that. When the time came for the purification, well, I mean, the, the, the passage first. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, uh, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So Mary, that couldn't happen until Mary had been purified, because she couldn't go in the temple. She couldn't bring the baby in there. And so this happened, they traveled. They were probably at this time still in Bethlehem, because it says that after this they went back to Nazareth. But I doubt they, when you look at the nature of what it is to have a baby and travel and all this and that, they were parked in Bethlehem until this point. And then she was, had gained enough health then to go back to Nazareth. So when they were presented in the temple, they were to redeem or to, to buy back the, the, the child with an offering of five shekels. That's found in, in Numbers. And God had done this in order that Israel would be reminded of their deliverance. It was such an important thing in their lives. You, you recall when the blood was, of the, was put on the doorpost. Exodus 12 says it this way, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So it is just here in this story that we begin to see that what the reality is, is that God is pointing from that event to the redemption to all who would believe on Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. Now, there were a lot of parents uh, bringing their children into the temple. Babies were being born all the time, so this was an ongoing uh, process. And they were offering the necessary sacrifices and so forth. And while they were doing that, a man named Simeon. He had received a promise from God that before he died, he would be allowed to see the Messiah. He would be allowed to see Yahweh's salvation, the Christ. So families are coming in and out. Babies are crying. Lambs are everywhere. You can imagine this is as noisy as it ever was on Christmas night. Doves and pigeons. You know what? They do get away. Birds probably flying all over the place. Families celebrating, quite, quite an event. But Simeon, it says, went to the temple in the Holy Spirit. Okay, he was compelled 
to go to the temple. And at the same time, Mary and Joseph and Jesus were in the temple court. And he stepped up and somehow, we don't know, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit within him, identified Jesus as the Messiah. And he stepped up. I I don't know exactly how this happens. Can you imagine? you bringing your little eight-year-old and some guy comes up to you and takes it and holds it up in the air like this. This is like, okay, this is either good or not good. But in the temple, this is what he did. And this child was the one that he had waited and longed for. And as Simeon held Jesus, he knew in his heart that one day Jesus would hold him. I'm reminded of Mark Lowry's lyrics of Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save your sons and daughters? Did you know that the baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Just a wonderful thought. And he knew this as he held this child in his hand and he did the only thing that anyone could do at that point. He praised God. And his praise was was poetry. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Varieties of versions say it beautifully in different ways. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, Simeon was an old man. He'd been waiting for many years for this moment. And unlike Zechariah, at that moment, there was not a shred of doubt. And he uttered these most amazing words. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, Lord, you can take me home. I've seen all I need to see. I can go in peace knowing that you have made a way for Israel and the whole world to be redeemed. Hebrews 2 tells us this. For it was fitting that he from whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For he who sacrifices and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. There are two things in this passage I want to... There are many, many things we could pull out, but there are two things here. One is that Jesus... This is the, the picture with Simeon and Jesus, newborn, and Mary and Joseph, is the picture that the author of Hebrews is pulling up here. I 
I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. You're born anew in the kingdom, and he is not ashamed to call your name in that context. The second thing is this, that he would deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Our names being told in the congregation has the power to free you and me from the fear of death. I mean, the fear of death is not an irrational fear. You know that death is alien to us. Uh, what I mean by that is we were not created to die. We die as a result of sin. And death is like anything like that where you have where he says that he's the one who has the the power of death, that is, the devil, we don't want to face him. But for the Christian, it is not death to die. I, I hope we all realize that. Death is, in fact, the beginning of the life we long for. And none of this was lost to Anna. None of it. For now she came and she began to thank to, uh, to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Even though Christmas was only yesterday, our minds are already racing towards the future. I, I want us to pause. Pause in your day for a moment. Don't, don't let it so easily uh, pass. And... And even though we, in essence, it's because in the dwelling in Christmas, that's all about the anticipation of the future. Simeon and Anna had long anticipated seeing the Messiah. I mean, they had walked the temple courts thousands of of times, wondering if today is today going to be that day. They gazed into the faces of How many precious children we do not know. But they were not the one. Day after day and month after month and year after year and decade after decade until finally the anticipation was met with the glory of being able to see Jesus Christ. And on that day it all changed. She looked into the face of God's anointed. I mean, they were excited. They were filled with wonder. They were so excited and so filled with wonder. And I believe that Anna would say the same thing that Simeon said. They lost the fear of death. They lost the fear of death. And we need to be doing the same thing that Simeon and Anna did. And that is in anticipating the coming of our Lord. Yes, he's already came to a manger in Bethlehem, but one day he is going to split the eastern sky. And I know there's things in between now and then, but that's, you know, sum it up, and he's going to make his appearance to the whole world. So the question today is, are you looking for him? Have you made peace with him such that you have been able to come to a place 
where you're at peace with your life. Is the number one thing for you to do in this life to trust Christ? And by doing, you will gain immortality. Let me say that differently. You already have immortality. You will gain immortality in the presence of God. So today, while there's still time, while there's still opportunity, call upon His name. Father, we are deeply grateful for the story of Simeon and Anna. In that, it, it tells us that there were faithful yet in Israel. And that gives us hope because there are yet faithful here in our country, in countries around the world. You have, you have your people set apart, holy unto you. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to look for your return in anticipation. We look for that time. And may, in looking for that time, in trusting Christ, may you give us freedom. And Lord, yeah, we can talk about freedom from the fear of death, but some of us need freedom from the fear of tomorrow or this afternoon. Pray, Father, that you would grant a peace that only you can give, and that through trusting the words and the presence of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose holy and precious name we pray. Amen.